0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org.
1: Um, the scripture this morning is from the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth occurs during the time of the judges. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return to you, to your people. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more, also, if anything but death parts me from you. Then later in the book, Ruth four thirteen through 17. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went in to her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher for your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ.
0: Amen It is the word of God. It is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. It is sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Father, we come now with expectant hearts, with a joyful anticipation uh, that you are going to meet us and you are going to feed us with your word. Oh, Lord, give us a holy appetite uh, that we would have grace to see that wherein we fail. Jesus, the Son of God, on our behalf, mightily prevails. We ask it in his glorious name, the seed who crushed the serpent's head and the alpha and omega. Amen. Now, I want to get something uh, out of the way right at the very beginning. I couldn't decide this morning which pair of pants I was going to wear. So I decided I'd wear one of each. Now, I know my my sweater and my tie and my fine young man haircut says it's Sunday morning. It's time to preach. But my pants say it's still Christmas time. And the book of Ruth says the same thing. The book of Ruth says it's time to get into the word, but the book of Ruth is also telling us it's Christmas time. The, the book of Ruth, um, in some ways, I, I think we could probably come to this sermon and, 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 and title it a Christmas card from the Elimelech clan. And, and on the Christmas card would be a picture of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz and a little tiny baby. Sinclair Ferguson wrote of the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is not a work of deep theological reasoning like Paul's epistle to the Romans, yet it is full of theology. It is not a magnificent symphony on the work of Christ like the gospel of John, yet it ultimately points to the coming of Christ. It is not full of vivid, apocalyptic imagery like the book of Revelation, yet it traces the details of God's working in the unfolding of the events of history. It is not basic instruction about the kingdom of God like the Sermon on the Mount, yet it contains important lessons about life in that kingdom. Well, a couple of nights ago at our Christmas Eve service, Pastor Scott uh, told us of Jesus encountering the two men on the road to Emmaus. Saying, in effect, the whole of the Old Testament is about me. Every page whispers my name. What, what an epic, panoramic survey of the Old Testament that must have been. The, the very risen, victorious, incarnate Word of God. Giving a master class on the inscripturated Word of God. From the majesty of creation to the devastation of of the flood the sights and the sounds and the smell even the stench of temple worship terrible battlefield scenes uh, rivaled only by the grandiloquent prose of tolkien's middle earth the fire of the prophets the quiet streams of psalm 23 the lover and the beloved of the song of songs all of it pointing to christ all of it and here Here he walks along the road to Emmaus with them about seven miles outside of Jerusalem and he asks them, what are y'all talking about? Now, you know what version of the Bible that's from by now, Buzz Graham, that's from the what? The MSV, the Mid-South version. What are y'all talking about? They were likely uh, returning back home from celebrating Passover, um, only this year distraught. and and confused they they say in effect to Jesus the one we had hoped would be our Messiah was crucified by our chief priests and and the rulers but but some of the women claim they've seen the tomb empty we don't know we don't know what to think we just feel lost I can only imagine that Jesus might well have slowed down and allowed them to savor the delectable delights of the book of Ruth Leland Ryken refers to the book of Ruth as a masterpiece of narrative art. He says the book of Ruth is a quest story in which the stated goal is to find Ruth a home. Our own elder Tom Douglas once said that all good songwriting is good storytelling and all good stories are ultimately about us trying to find our way home. Um, Interestingly, in chapter 1, verse 6, the verb that is there and appears 12 times in the first chapter alone, the the verb that is there is vetashuv, from the root shuv. It it appears 12 times in this one chapter, and and it means to turn, to return. Make no mistake, the, the story begins unmistakably with a longing for home. Now, Jesus could have well said to the two men on the road to Emmaus, you, you know the story about the two women on the road to Judah? You've heard it from childhood. Well, well let me invite you to step out of shadow into reality. I'm the point of, of that story. Let me invite you to step out of shadow and, and meet and embrace the real thing. It's, it's me. Beloved, I would, I would suggest that Ruth is exactly... The kind of thing we need to be reading at christmas time that the whole of the book of ruth we should read it at christmas time i i would call the book of ruth a navidad novella a, an incarnation or nativity short story everything was falling apart it was disastrous turn, turn back one page in your bibles from where you are in the book of ruth just turn back one page and what do we read how does the last page of the last book right before the book of ruth Conclude. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. There was no king in Israel, and everyone was doing right in their own eyes. Why was there a famine in the land, at the beginning of the book of Ruth? Because of what we read at the end of Judges. There was no king in Israel, and everyone was just doing their own thing. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And so that's how the book of Ruth begins. That's the setting. That's the time. In those days, in those days when judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons, the name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Helion. It's interesting rather ironic the name of the man was elimelech right what what had we just read at the end of judges in those days there was no king in israel no king in israel ironically elimelech's name means yahweh is king and his wife, Naomi, joins him as they leave the barrenness of Bethlehem. Again, ironically, from two words in the Hebrew, uh, bay, which means house and lechem, which means bread. They leave the house of bread. Bethlehem is the house of bread. But Elimelech, Yahweh is king, leaves the house of bread because there is no king in Israel and famine has spread and they, they have to go. They make, they make the decision. It, it would appear their the thought processes were something along the lines of uh, Yahweh has failed to provide. The Lord has failed to provide bread for us and so we will go to the pagan land of Moab now, if you think about the book of Judges, if you go back to Judges chapter 3, we realize that the Moabites were a brutal people. They had abused the people of God. They had gone after the people of God. They were a pagan nation. But Elimelech and Naomi go there. Um, we'll go to the land of Moab, you know. God had promised to take care of the people, to take them, and we read this in Exodus chapter 3 verse 8, to where a land flowing with, you remember, milk and Honey, everything they could have had for their sustenance, for their delight, God promised that he was going to provide, and yet they needed only trust him and obey him. It's like the old hymn, there's a lot of truth. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still in all who will trust and obey, trust and obey, trust and obey to be happy in Jesus. There's no other way but to trust and obey. You see, God had warned of the dire consequences of disobedience to his covenant. In fact, I want you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, it's the last book of the Pentateuch or the last of the first five books of the Bible. And I want you to look at chapter 28. And let's hear the word of the Lord in chapter 28, beginning in verse 15. The Lord says, but if... You will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today. Then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation, and fiery heat and with drought and with blight and with mildew they shall pursue you until you perish and the heavens over your head shall be bronze and the earth under you shall be iron the lord will make the rain of your land powder from heaven dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed now i know some of you are thinking david didn't you say something about ruth being real christmassy and like a christmas card can we get back to that But in some ways, the book of Ruth begins with the dire consequences of this kind of turning away from the Lord, of this kind of rejecting the Lord and his covenant. And so, in the house of bread, in in Bethlehem, there was no bread and there was no king in Israel. And now, for the time we have this morning, I, I wish that I could just... Read the whole of Ruth it's really that captivating it's such a sensory oriented book you can smell it you can taste it you can hear it you can see it you can feel I mean this is such a beautiful Hebrew literature it's so sensory oriented it appeals to our our desire to taste it appeals to our desire to smell and to touch the word of God is often like that isn't it so captivating. I wish we could read it. I would encourage you today, just take time and, and read straight through the whole book of Ruth. It might take you 25 minutes or, or so just to read it from beginning to end. Again, it's a novella. It's a short story. Instead, what I'm going to try to do is to draw some pictures. Yesterday, one of uh, my daughter Lydia's gifts for Christmas was a, a whole set of Mitsubishi art pencils. I geek out on pencils, all right? I geek out on pencils. I think Mitsubishi, they're Japanese pencils. Uh, I also think Blackwing. You can ask Pastor Scott. He geeks out on Black Wings as well. If you know, you know. Um, this set came with every grade of graphite, uh, 22 pencils from 10B to 10H. And she was thrilled to get it. Now, I am not, by anyone's um, estimation, a sketch artist. I just geek out on pencils and fountain pens. But for those of you who are artists, if you know you know, and I can't wait to see what she is going to draw. But what I want to do this morning and ta- is to take a, a scripture pencil and to try to draw for you a, a picture of four people briefly. Naomi and Ruth, Boaz, and a little baby boy. You see, whenever God does a thing, he's always doing a million things. Their stories intersect right? Their stories seem disparate in ways, but they intersect. And whenever God is doing a thing, He's always doing a million things, all for the display of His redeeming chesed. Can you say that with me? A little Hebrew lesson this morning. Say it with me. Chesed. Chesed. You've just spoken the word in Hebrew for grace or covenant love. The chesed love of God, the grace of God. His chesed love, His own display on every page. Uh, Naomi, has sojourned with Elimelech. That's the word, lager in the Hebrew. It it means a temporary stay. In fact, that's why in the NIV, it says that Elimelech and Naomi go to Moab to live for a little while. They go for a little while, just just a little while. The Lord is not meeting our needs. Let's Let's just take matters into our own hands for a little bit, just for a little while. Are any of you this morning telling yourself, we'll come back to the Lord in time. I'll do my own thing just a while longer, <laughs> right? Maybe you're here and um, you struggle with different things. Like maybe, maybe you have um, an internet browser um, that that no one knows about. Your wife doesn't know about it. Your accountability partner doesn't know about it. And, and it's tucked away in an unsuspecting uh, file of folders on your phone. No one will ever think to look there in a little while. I'll I'll come back to the Lord. Maybe you're here and you think, you know, my mom and dad, they they don't need to know everything that I'm getting myself into in college. Just a little while longer. Just a little while longer. I'm going to do my own thing. Maybe maybe you're here and you've been running from Christ. Who knows why? You don't even know why. I'll I'll get after the Christianity thing. I'll think about it in time. For now, I'm going to do my own thing. In, In a little while. In a little while. Just a while longer. Well, here is poor Jewish Naomi eventually finding herself in Moab a decade later. Her husband and her two sons are dead. Death is not the way it's supposed to be. That's why we celebrate at Christmas, Hebrews 2, verses 11 to 18, that Jesus came to destroy him who holds the power of death and deliver all of us who through our fear of death were held in lifelong bondage. Death is not the way it's supposed to be. Everything she could ever possibly have feared was now her reality. Away from home, destitute, alone with two Gentile daughters-in-law. William Cooper could have easily written his hymn about these women. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform he plants his footsteps on the sea and rides upon the storm. A storm has certainly hit them and hit them hard. She hears things are better back in Judah now. There's rumors of food there. People are eating again. It's only about a 30-mile trek from Moab back to Judah, about seven to 10 days. But, But the dry, dusty, treacherous terrain is actually a mirror of her parched and broken heart. They make their way somewhere not too far she realizes her daughters that's what she calls them her daughters are still of age to marry and bear children they would be better off returning to Moab and seeking husbands than than going on with this hollowed out old woman she pleads with them to leave her they both weep and they kiss her and they promise to return With her to her people. But then Orpah thinks better of it and goes back to Moab, as the text makes clear, to her gods. Orpah goes back to Moab and to her gods. The the, the scripture is always warning us of the ever present pull of the gods of this age. You and I are not unsusceptible. I believe, in fact, that the Lord of the church is preparing to shake the church awake today and raise us up from the dull slumber of our tolerance and even our embrace of the gods of this age. But it's a sermon for a different time. Let me ask you, do you ever, you ever think about where Naomi is and, and think, man, I, I have felt like her before? Right, she tells us all that we need to know about how she feels and about what she knows to be true. Sometimes these things are in, in conflict in our hearts, what we feel and what we know. What she knows is that Yahweh is the God of chesed. He is the God of abounding grace. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9 8, the God of abounding grace, able to make all grace abound to us at all times. She knows this. Even in the midst of her desperation, she urges her daughters-in-law to return to their homes and praise that the Lord, and she uses the word Yahweh there, the covenant name of the Lord, will and in our English translations, it says deal kindly in chapter one, verse eight. But the word that she used is that the Lord will show his chesed. She knows that the covenant Lord is the God of chesed, the God of of grace, of, of chesed love. May he deal kindly with you. But Naomi is like us. Sometimes our theology doesn't always make it to doxology. Look at Chapter 1, verse 21, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? She is convinced that God has turned away from her, that her suffering is proof that he is so done with her. If you've ever felt that way, you're not alone. You're going through a storm, you're going through some suffering and you think, this must be my fault. This is evidence that God is not happy with me. That God is about finished putting up with me. This, this This is proof that he is not gonna tolerate me much longer. Well, here's the good news of the gospel, okay? You're right, God's not gonna tolerate you. God is not going to put up with you. We put up with stuff we don't like. We tolerate stuff we don't like. The promise of Scripture is that he will never tolerate you. He will never put up with you. Zephaniah 3.17, he rejoices over you with loud singing. He delights over you. But you know how Naomi feels. We've all been there. And she's convinced of it. So there's a little sketch, a little drawing of Naomi and, and where she where she is. And, and again, we, we, can, we can relate. Maybe maybe just this Christmas, um, life has just taken all of your pain and your loss and your failure and your lostness and your loneliness and, and put it into a blender and press the button and you're like, hey, this is a fitting smoothie for the last couple of years. Um, I mean, really, where, where do you feel like God has dealt bitterly with you? Where do you feel like he has dealt bitterly with you my name is not pleasant my name is Mara, bitter call me bitter she says now you may be asking david i just don't get it nothing you have said makes me feel merry and bright thus far what could possibly be christmassy about this little book of the old testament i'm glad you asked the next person i want you to consider is ruth we've heard what naomi feels lord is doing to her in verse 21 now let's hear the Lord's heart for Naomi in chapter 1, verse 22. And we're going to read it. And, and, and I'm, I'm wondering, as we read this, would, would it be okay if, if I let you hear it in the way that Naomi would have heard it? Would it be okay if, if I read it in the very language that God originally inspired it and, and we filled the rafters with the very words that Ruth spoke to Naomi? Uthmar Ruth, al fifgo be, lazbek Ishub makriki ki alasher Feliki-Alk, Ubasher basher felini Felini-Alin, Omp-Omni, ali basher thmuthi amuth ushem Ushem-Agber-ki, Yoshi, Uili-Iki, isifki imuth Ufrid-Bini, Ubink, And what did she say to her? She had told her, do not urge me to leave you. Do not urge me to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Such covenant love that's why that's why we could read what we read in verse 21 and verse 22 so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite her daughter-in-law with her who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the Har- Harley Harlebar Now, there are two things I want you to understand about this verse two things I want you to notice number one Ruth is with her why is Ruth with her it's because of that covenant promise that Ruth had made that we just heard because of that covenant promise, I am not going to leave you or forsake you, Naomi. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people, your God will be my God. Ruth. Is with her. She's all in. She is all in. She is going to leave with Naomi, claim her people, turn away from the false pagan gods of Moab, worship her God, die and be buried where Naomi dies. This is more than a sort of uh, moral to the story. See, daughters in law and mothers in law really can get along. This is Ruth saying, Yahweh is my God now. And what did Naomi have of this world's goods to entice Ruth? What does she have to, to offer Ruth? And yet she is the one person who has pointed Ruth to the God of Israel. Whatever Naomi thinks of her failures and losses, she is the evangelistic key to Ruth being one of the women who gave us Jesus. Ruth needed Naomi to point her to the grace, the chesed of Yahweh in the first place. Naomi needed Ruth. To remind her that the Chesed, the grace of God, would be on the chase in her life from Bethlehem to Moab back to Bethlehem all the days of her life. So the first thing I want you to notice, Ruth is with her. But then the second thing that I want you to notice, look back at the text, verse 22. When did they come to Bethlehem? Do you see it there in the text? What's the little detail there in the text? When did they come back to Bethlehem? The beginning of of the barley harvest Merry Christmas Merry Christmas do you do you smell the aroma of the warm bread filling the house again barley season let's follow the breadcrumbs all the way to Christmas Naomi had lost everything or so she thought but she has a daughter who will not leave her why why would Ruth not leave Naomi well it was because of a promise made to a serpent all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God made a promise to a serpent that the seed was going to crush his head. Does it dawn on you that the first pronouncement of the gospel and its victory in the Bible was declared over the serpent? God's grace is on the chase in Ruth's life. She's not going to leave Naomi because God promised Joshua. Back in chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am committed to my promise that the seed will crush the serpent's head. And I will stay committed to that promise through you, Joshua. I will stay committed through the time of the judges, even though there's no king in Israel and everyone's doing their own thing. I will remain faithful. And I'm going to remain faithful to Ruth because I've got a promise to keep. A promise I made to a serpent all the way back on the third page of the Bible. Ruth is not going to leave her because God has a promise to keep. Everything's going according to plan. Third person I want us to consider, Boaz. Look at the beginning of chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Not only does she have a daughter, she has a relative. These pivotal next couple of chapters, I only wish we had time just to read the whole of it. I would encourage you to do it today again. But we are reminded uh, in chapter two, verse two, that Ruth is a foreigner, an outsider. She's a Gentile. She is a Moabite. But she knows there is just something about this man, something gracious about him. And at Naomi's permission, she works hard, gleaning what she could from the fields. But then in chapter two, verse four, we find that Boaz is, are you ready for this? From Bethlehem. Boaz comes from the house of bread. He hears of this young interloper and the first words, this foreigner, this outsider hears from his lips. And chapter two, verse eight is now listen, my daughter, my daughter, like the woman With the flow of blood that could not be stopped in Mark chapter 5, verse 34, she's ostracized. She knows that she is unclean and she is sinful and no one wants her around. Yet she presses through the crowd to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. And we read in Mark's gospel, he feels power go out from him. And he says, who touched me? And the disciples said, are you, what? who touched you? People are pressing in all around you. And yet she comes up and she says, it was me. And the first words she trembling hears is, daughter, daughter. Your faith has saved you and made you well. The first words she hears from the lips of the man who not only healed her body, but has healed her broken heart is daughter. And the first words that Ruth hears from this man of grace is listen, my daughter. She's an outsider. What does she have? bring to Boaz nothing but her need her hands were empty before him that's why we sing at Christmas time what can I give him poor as I am if I were a shepherd I would give a lamb if I were a wise man I would do my part but what can I give him I'll give him my heart I'll give him my heart Boaz insists that Ruth glean in his field. He dignifies her by making her part of the team. He ensures that no man would touch her. Ruth can't understand. But Boaz tells Ruth that her faithfulness to Naomi, which is, is not a work that has earned her salvation, but has evidenced the Hesed grace of God in her life, is not missed by him. He sees in her the Lord's grace. The next thing she knows is that she's at mealtime. Chapter two, verse 14, she's at mealtime. I love what is said there. Look at the text. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel into the wine. Boaz is a man, chapter two, verse 20, are you ready for this? Who is what? What? a man of grace. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord whose kindness chesed has not forsaken the living or the dead. Chesed in Naomi's life. Chesed in Boaz's life. He's a man of chesed. He is our redeemer, Naomi says. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 to 10, we have what we 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 know as the Leverite Law from the Hebrew word levir, which means brother-in-law, wherein the brother-in-law of a widowed woman would father a child and thereby taking care of and providing for that widowed woman. The word for redeemer here is the Hebrew word goel, and it comes from the word in Hebrew galal, which means to redeem. In Exodus chapter six, verses six to eight, we read that the Lord is the goel; He is the redeemer of his people he redeems psalm 103 verse 4 our life from the pit and likewise his people were to act redemptively you and i we are to be redemptive people and that's what boaz is doing yet in integrity he in chapter 4 knowing the law of god loving the law of god as he does discusses with a relative who is nearer to naomi than even he is he discusses this situation and suggest that this relative should take Ruth to be a husband so that this family would not be destitute. Yet this man who is unnamed um, considers it, but he doesn't want to risk how that might impact the inheritance. He's already set aside for his own children. And so like Orpah back in chapter one, he chooses his own way rather than the law of the Lord. And as we read through the chapter, um, Boaz redeems Ruth because she comes in and she presents herself to him and says, I would be your wife. You would be my redeemer. Now, please understand, Ruth has already evidenced hesed in her own life. Back in chapter two, verses nine and 10, Boaz notices in in her that the hesed grace of God is at work in the way that she has taken care of, of Naomi and now she comes into him and she was not being immoral i realize this is very sensory oriented language you might even be tempted to think that it is sensual language as she comes and uncovers his feet and she says to him spread your wings over me this is this is sensory oriented language there is nothing that is that is sexually tawdry or in, inappropriate she's not coming in seeking to tempt boaz late in the evening and full of wine quite the opposite She was coming in and offering herself in marriage to him. Spread your wings, i.e. the corners of your garments, which is a way of a man saying that he was going to marry a woman to spread his garment over her. She's coming in and saying, instead of chasing after younger men, I am committed to God's covenant ways in the preserving of Naomi's family. She was submitted to the law of God and the vow she had made. What she was doing was a sign of chesed love in her life. And Christmas depended on what took place in chapters three and four of the book of Ruth. Christmas depends on her coming in to Boaz and saying, I would be your wife. Spread your wings over me. And of course, as the story goes, and I wish we had time to read the whole of it, that is what happens. Because this nearer relative chooses his own way rather than the way of the Lord, Boaz steps up and takes Ruth to be his wife. And as we heard read, He comes into her, and she conceives, and they bear a baby boy. Look, if you will, at chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. He went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed, Obed. Here, an elderly Jewish woman holds a baby in her lap. And you catch what she said about him, how she described him? He is a redeemer. And, and here is this Hebrew word again at the end of the story, shuv, 12 times in chapter one, but we see it here again, shuv, return to turn. He is going to return life to me. He is going to restore life to me. This redeemer in her lap is returning life to a woman who was hollowed out and all but dead. He will cause life to return to you, literally in the Hebrew. Everything was a disaster, yet grace was on the chase in her life. Grace is on the chase. You see, Naomi became the grandmother of Obed and the great-grandmother, well, go back. What did we leave off? They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse. So she's the grandmother of Obed and the great-grandmother of Jesse. Grace is on the chase because that means that her great-great-grandson set the story as it were to song when he wrote in Psalm 23, verse 6, surely goodness and chesed shall yerod funi. Surely goodness and grace shall be on the chase all the days of my life. And yes, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Ruth is a story of chesed love that tells us we will make it home, y'all. Merry Christmas. Because there was a baby, who came was born because the eternal logos the eternal son of god left his home on a rescue mission to take you home and even now there's bread in the house (laughs) even now your morsel and your wine await you merry christmas in John chapter six, verses 1 to 15, Jesus fed 5,000. Actually, if you consider the children and the women, it was likely more along the lines of 20,000, with "Are you ready for this?" You remember what kind of loaves? Barley loaves. He fed them with barley loaves. And later in that same chapter, verse 35, Jesus says of himself, I am the bread of life. Bread is beloved in the house this morning. Jesus is waiting to serve you. Jesus is waiting to feed you. Jesus, the precious baby we celebrate this time of year, who is our redeemer, who has returned life to us. This all makes sense when we read the Bible as a whole. For Obed on the lap of elderly Naomi, points forward to the true redeemer held in the lap of the young virgin mary and when she placed him in the manger it was more than expediency it was expectancy because he was given to us to be food from the very beginning indeed the cradle was the first step to the cross the cross in order to the crown you see especially when it feels like everything's a disaster Everything's falling apart and maybe it's because I went away for a little while to do my own thing and now everything is so screwed up in my life. You feel like there is no king who would claim you. Oh, beloved, there is a king in Israel and bread is in the house. Christmas tells us the true story. It is Naomi's story. It is Ruth's story. It is Mary's story. It is your story and it is your story because at the heart of the story is your savior. Sometimes we just need to be reminded, kind of like Charlie Brown, can anybody tell me what Christmas is about? Right, And I know y'all, some of you who follow my theological work know that I love that great apologist Cornelius Van Til, but I would encourage you to go home and look up the Peanuts Christmas special and listen to the words of that great church theologian, Linus Van Pelt. For unto you is born this day a Savior, in the city of David. He is your Redeemer. He has returned life to you, and He says, "Your bread, your morsel, and your wine await." So prepare our hearts for the Holy Supper.